Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and PT pearls to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in back with another listener review. So this one is from Adriana L. And it says, so insightful and helpful. Honestly, listening to the podcast, especially the scoliosis episode hit home. All throughout grade school, I did that spine exam and they told me that I was fine. Fast forward for a few years and I would get back pain and I didn't get checked out or even paid mind to it. And I continued to weight train in my normal life until I went to a chiropractor and they did an x-ray and they were like, oh my God, how have you been functioning for so long? And they made me feel like, oh my God, I can't be doing everything I do normally. And after I listened to this podcast, I felt like I can modify some of my movements. I can continue doing my workouts without any issue. Thank you for your words and to know that I am not alone in this. Like, oh, these reviews are going to make me cry. Thank you so much, Adriana. And know that if you email us at jen at docgenfit.com, we're going to get you in to the Optimal Body Membership for one month free. So anyone else listening, leave us a review. Let us know what you're learning. Let us know what else you want to learn about. We want to know how this is impacting your life and your body. So we're going to dive into another PT Pearl. And this is something that Jen and I really connected on early on in how we treat people, in how we treat ourselves, and in how we use breath work to really balance our system and just learn more about where we tend to rest and how our system tends to react to the environment around us. So we really want to, with our guest today, we're so excited to dive into the guest. He gets a lot more in detail about things. We're just going to show you some basics about breath work and how to understand kind of what it does in your system. Yes, I think that's what's most important. Breathwork gets thrown around a lot. Like there's so many different types of breathwork within different practices like yoga or people who do ice training. There's certain types, deep diving. So there's just so many different types and practices, methodologies around breathwork. And I think what is most important is just understanding the basics, first of all, so that you can actually integrate it into your body, understanding what you're doing and why. Like, why would we integrate anything unless we understand why it's, why it's doing it? Like some yeah. people will do it and feel the effect and be like, oh, okay, I understand that. I should add this in because I feel it. But it's one thing to feel it. It's another thing to actually understand it and be empowered with the knowledge. And that's what we're trying to bring you today with breath work. Yeah. So to dive right in, why do we breathe? And kind of what messages is that sending our system based on maybe how we react to the environment around us? So immediately we do want to touch on, you know, our autonomic nervous system. So we have this automatic nervous system, you can say. Mm -hmm. And that is where we've probably heard the terms parasympathetic, sympathetic. And we used to think, again, autonomic, meaning automatic. We have no control over this. This is just what your body does and it reacts in different situations. We have now studied and learned a lot more about the body as we continue to learn. Like we might even change some of the things that we say as we continue to learn, right? But right now we understand that based on how we use the breath, we can control into different states. So I can drive into and ramp up into my sympathetic, this fight, flight, freeze type of place, 
or I can drive down and turn off that state and tap onto more of a parasympathetic rest, relax, and digest state. Yeah, no, and that's just the way that, again, automatic or autonomic nervous system, I like to say that there is a portion that's automatic Mm -hmm. and there is this thing inside of us that reacts based on environmental stimuli, whatever it is that gets thrown at us. And a lot of that comes from how we're programmed as beings, both Mm -hmm. how we learned early in life and different like inherent things that we take on from our parents or different genetic factors that just make us want to react to different things. Like some people find snakes really scary and they go, (gasps) and we have this initial scared response where Mm -hmm. some other people will see that and not have that reaction. But beyond that reaction, there's a way that we can thoughtfully, mindfully respond and then kind of control volitionally or voluntarily control that autonomic nervous system. Which is so incredibly important and why we want to bring it to you because especially as it relates to pain, chronic pain especially, so think of anything lasting over three months, over six months, something that continuously, recurrently comes back over and over and over again throughout the years. Well, if we're in a more sympathetic driven place, we're automatically telling our body that it needs to be on guard more. When it is on guard more, it is automatically releasing more stress responses, more cortisol. And so if we're driving up and ramping into that sympathetic tone more, we are going to have more inflammation, just a part of our body. And it's inflammation isn't bad. It's a necessary process within the body. What we want to avoid or potentially avoid is that chronic state of inflammation that continues to come back over and over again. And Dom and I have both worked with clients in person over and over again where we can get this pain response to automatically shift. No matter, like, I've had people crying on my table because they're like, I don't understand how this back pain of five years has suddenly disappeared off of what you're doing. And I'm like, I'm not doing anything. You are. And that's where it becomes so empowering to use these tools and turn off that initial stress situation that you have underlying you possibly for a long period of time and give you the tools to actually reduce that inflammation, reduce that sensitivity to pain and reduce Mm -hmm. the way that your nerves are responding to your brain and sending signals that you're in pain. Yeah, breath is super difficult to actually research well, too, because everybody has a slightly different response to some of these things, and everybody has a different resting and initial state. And again, when we talk about our ability to change the way we breathe and affect this autonomic nervous system, we impact how almost every system in our body is operating from our heart to our veins and our blood pressure to the pain sensors to the way that we stimulate our what am i thinking of the the things that fight the things inside of us <laughs> our immune system <laughs> there we go our t cells we can activate just our natural t cells by doing different breath techniques the way we produce blood cells everything lymphatic system so we can go on and on and that can be through through a thing if you want to look more into that called the polyvagal theory. Yes. Um, we should look. We should talk to Jill about getting some studies that we can link up to that. So oh, she would talk can, about this all day. <laughs> oh gosh, she'll be on our podcast eventually yeah. for sure. But um, so that's again where just through voluntarily changing the breath, we can impact the way our client is thinking, feeling, the pain they're perceiving, the way that they're open to maybe receiving the treatment we're then going to give them, or the mm-hmm. manual therapy we're then going to give them. It helps you develop trust and rapport between someone or even within a relationship. 
you know, whether it's just a friend or somebody that you're, you're with in your partnership. So, so many powerful things. We were actually doing a little dive into some research and just how they're studying how different practices implement breath treatment. And one of the cool conclusions that I saw was that someone said, if we don't address how someone's breathing when they come into our office, then we're not, we may be allowing them to sit there in this fight or flight state while we're presenting information to them and just their openness and readiness to receive any of that may be completely gone. So maybe addressing a little bit how someone's breathing, breathing with them for about four or five breaths, it just develops that connection between you and a provider or you and another person that's going to allow you to have a much more optimal experience with each other. And that's why him and I do it together as well as a partnership because it's so incredibly connecting. But we want to give you the actual tools now as mm-hmm. to how this can, how you can create this within your body, right? Because it's one thing, again, to talk about the breath. And granted, even if we're talking about it, hopefully you're like starting to even just see like, how am I breathing right now, even as I'm talking about it, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is key because if we could even just start to bring awareness to what your breath is doing, you're already doing it. Okay, you're already winning. (laughs) But let's go over it like a basic breath cycle. So if we look at the inhalation phase and the exhalation phase, that's how we breathe, right? Well, now if I, now someone scares you. (gasps) (laughs) What did he just do? He just did (gasps) an inhalation phase and hold. So all that did is ramp up everything that he's doing in the inhalation. What does that also do? Fight, flight, freeze. So that is automatically your sympathetic state. Just think of that intense inhalation, that hold on the inhalation as that sympathetic. What we're also doing, your body gets really tense and tight because it goes into a guarding protective mode. And so now think about breathing in this inhalation phase and rising the shoulders up to your ears and telling your body you're stressed, you're stressed, you're stressed over and over again. Of course, everything is going to get tight. And especially when we're in pain and our body is like, this is bad. I'm tensing up against it. What does it do? So if we can start to combat that with now thinking about more of the exhalation, think about going to get a massage and everything just, ah, right? (laughs) So when we just are able to just In that little phase, if I can just think longer exhalation, shorter inhalation, Mm. I automatically start to shift things. Okay, so that's great and dandy and all. (laughs) We know what the parasympathetic and what the sympathetic is and when that's kind of activating during the different portions of breath. I also hear all this stuff about diaphragmatic breathing. People talk about belly breathing and what exactly that means, how we know we're doing it right. And then do you want to show a little example of how we can bring awareness to where we're sitting with our breath if we're in more of a parasympathetic or sympathetic state? hundred, hundred percent. hundred percent. I think the other thing to quickly note on too is that we're not necessarily like, oh, if I'm in a more exhalation state, I'm now in my parasympathetic. It's just that as we extend that exhale, we actually turn off our on switch. Our on switch is that sympathetic. So if you just think about that, Mm -hmm. I am turning off that alert switch, right? And I'm turning it off with a long exhale. And I'm so automatically, what am I going to switch into? Parasympathetic. Parasympathetic. If I'm just down regulating that sympathetic. So that's really what we're doing is we're turning off that on switch. And I think that's a really good distinction just for people to remember. Yeah. You'll hear a lot of people these days talk about down regulation, down regulation. And that's just kind of a buzzword these days for 
turning off the sympathetic because we in this world love to live up here in this sympathetically driven fight or flight world and turning, you know, down regulating into that more parasympathetic zone. Yes. All right. So what are we doing? Okay. So you're going to come to the metal here a little bit. Send a stage. (laughs) So I am using what's called a rock floss from Rock Tape. Um, Honestly, you could use a TheraBand. What I like about this is that it's thicker and so it kind of is tackier to you and so it'll stay in place. And what we're going to do is we're going to find the low rib cage on him and we're going to wrap (laughs) knocked into you. We're going to wrap the band right around his low rib cage. Not too tight. I mean, we want him to breathe, but we just want him to feel feedback. All right, so getting that around. You just like to hug me. Well, that too. (laughs) Okay, how does that feel? Good. Snug as a bug (laughs) in a rug. All right, so when we're thinking about actually activating and being able to use our diaphragm, our diaphragm rests right underneath the rib cage, the low rib cage. So especially when we're thinking about diaphragmatic breathing, what we should be thinking about is expanding from that low rib cage first, and then that will expand into the belly, into the chest, into other areas. But we don't want to necessarily just be thinking about belly breathing because then we're not getting the expansion from that low rib cage. Mm -hmm. Do you want to say anything about it? No, I want you to keep talking me through this. What the heck am I doing here? (laughs) All right. So I like to put people in a good position, first of all, of how we're going to align the rib cage over the pelvis so that we can actually get that rib cage to expand. Great. Because if I'm in a hunched over position, usually where I'm going to breathe into is into my chest. Or if I am in a super extended position, again, where am I going to breathe into is more of my chest. So what we, what I like to say is kind of having exactly how he is, the knees lower than the hips is so ideal here. Okay, and this is for those listening on the podcast too. I just want to note that we're showing this on YouTube. Yep. But I'm just going to walk you through it as if you're listening. So if you're sitting in a chair, it's a lot easier to make sure that the knees are lower than the hips. Okay. And what this automatically does is you're able to find your sit bones, your ischial tuberosities a lot better, which are those big prominent bones that you'll kind of feel. So if they kind of stick out and you don't really feel them anymore, or if they go away, if you come back, find right where you can find that sweet spot right on top. And automatically that kind of starts to align the spine. Oh, crazy. Mm. (laughs) Okay. And then relax into the upper body and the shoulders. Now, what I want you to focus on as you take a breath in, I want you to think about taking a breath into this band that's right around the low rib cage. If you don't have a tight band, what you could do is just wrap a blanket or a towel right around your low rib cage area. Give it a little squeeze. And as you take a breath in, think of like a four second inhale pushing pressure into this band on the sides particularly. We always forget about these sides. And then take a really slow breath out for about six to eight seconds, maybe even 10 seconds. Don't force yourself. So for some people, this is going to be a hard practice is to get a really long exhale. So we could just go into like a four second inhale, four second exhale. Totally fine. Okay. We're going to get into box breathing in just a second too. So what this is doing here is I'm teaching him by using this compressive force on the rib cage. I'm teaching his body how to respond 
against that compression and open up. It's like having the Theraloop around your knees. You know how a lot of people do banded squats around the knees and we're pulling the knees in together and teaching the knees how to pull out so that the glutes work. It's the same thing around the rib cage. So we can use these, this concept in other places. We can even go ahead and put him into um, quadruped. How oh. about you? Yeah. How about you get on your hands and knees? If I don't pull my mic off. Yeah, let's not do that. Okay, so we can even go in quadruped. We can even go into cat-cow. And every time he's in cat-cow, I want him to think as he takes a breath in, he's expanding from this uh, around this band. And as he takes a breath out, he's feeling this band compress. And he can move through different positions, okay? He can go fast. He can go slow. He can go into different regular movements that he might want. Um, and then he can go into rotation. So even coming down into child's pose, and then bringing the elbows underneath you in this child's pose, putting one hand behind your head. And what he's going to do, he's going to take a breath into this band as he rotates up. And then take a breath out as he comes down. And actually taking a breath in, we have a lot of intercostals between the rib cage as well. So taking a breath in actually helps to expand and get a little bit more motion in that rotation. Usually the thought process again is the other way. We want to exhale to gain more rotation. But actually for the rib cage and around these muscles that we want to start to open up and activate, we want to inhale as we go around. Okay, now coming onto your back. <laughs> One of the things that we're also now going to just talk about is regular box breathing. So for box breathing, think about it exactly as that, a box. <laughs> so if we're going to do like a four second inhale, we're going to think of the pressure around this rib cage coming in and then a two second hold at the top, turning on that parasympathetic and then taking a nice four second exhale, turning off that sympathetic, taking a two second pause. And odd, and then he'll just keep going through that. So, or you could do four second, four second, four, four. Sometimes holding for four seconds is a lot harder for the system. So I like to do just a two second hold, about a four second inhale, two second hold, four second exhale, two second hold. What you're doing is you're automatically bringing your attention into your body, into your breath, into this rib cage. We're getting the diaphragm to learn how to expand again. And if we wanna really think about strengthening that diaphragm, getting that better action, we actually want to take about a four second inhale, about an eight second, eight second exhale through the mouth. So we want to think about pursed lips as we exhale, because this way we're really getting into like blowing out a lot of candles and we're actually helping to kind of put pressure onto that air as we push everything out. So we get these intercostals working, we get the transverse and we get the pelvic floor to all kind of program and work together. And when we get this full around the rib cage, around the abdominal area, and even down into the pelvis, then that's how we start to really work everything together and get this pressure system to work better. When we can get this working better, we get everything on the outside working better. I promise you, your shoulders are going to start to free up your hips are going to start to free up your knees, your back pressure. All of this pressure around you can start to release just by coming back to this basic, basic breath pattern. And with that purse pursed lip breathing, it's kind of similar to having the band around my rib cage where this provides the resistance for my diaphragm mm -hmm. on the way in, you know, as the pursed lip is also providing more resistance to that diaphragm on the way out and that complex of diaphragm, pelvic floor, and our abdominal muscles. Yeah. 
Um, a couple other techniques and tools that you can use, um, humming on the way out as you exhale. So him and I, especially when we do breath work together, mm -hmm. we like to get into humming phases. Um, not only is that going to release more nitric oxide as you're doing your breath pattern, which nitric oxide is going to help to vasodilate those blood vessels. So we're automatically going to kind of open up those blood vessels. Um, but humming is also getting more into that parasympathetic and it's helping because we start to activate that core, that deep core and the pelvic floor together in a, what we call an eccentric manner onto mm. that pelvic floor area. So it's almost like it's lengthening, but it's working at the same time. So we're putting those muscles on stretch, but also working them at the same time. So again, that's why I love like the humming. Um, and then just, do you want to talk a little bit into nasal breathing? Well, I mean, I think that that's stuff that Brian goes into yeah. in the interview coming up significantly. And we've yeah. given you a ton, ton on, you know, tools of already to just start to tap into. So what I would always say is just choose one. Box breathing is a great place to start because it just brings awareness as to where you are in that inhale, where you might be in the exhale. Hey, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> where you are in the exhale and um, how you can learn to bring more awareness to that throughout the day. Because really awareness is only one thing. It's when we start taking action on it throughout the day that we're going to significantly start to shift where our system is sitting um, in general. So um, can I explain a few things that Brian might talk about Please. that we might want? So he dives into a lot and he goes through things quick and he is so well researched, researched on this He's breath so stuff. Um, he talks a lot about parasympathetic, sympathetic. So we went over that quite a bit. One thing he mentions a lot is anaerobic versus aerobic and he'll say when we breathe this way we're, we're so much more anaerobic when we breathe this way we're so much more aerobic you know if you're into fitness that might make a little more sense anaerobic versus aerobic training but basically what that means anaerobic means without oxygen or without air aerobic means air or with air so when we're doing aerobic metabolism or when we're making energy aerobically that means we're using oxygen and creating less co2 you know on the exhale when we're starting to work anaerobically that means that we switch systems and we're not using as much oxygen ratio wise and we're burning the quick energy that our muscles have in it called glycogen which is generally made by carbs or that's what carbs are made into and put in the muscle so aerobic is more of the slow nasal breathing and then we're burning more fat ratio wise and we're getting into that oxidative state where we're using all that oxygen and creating less co2 than oxygen that we're taking in and then anaerobic means we're burning more and we're creating more co2 than we can get rid of so that's just a little thing to keep in mind as he starts going through some of his things, but we're so excited mm -hmm. for him to share a lot of these things. He is just a, a guru who doesn't like to be called a guru because he's just done a lot of this work on himself, done a lot of this studying and research because he realized how it changed the way he feels and he feels he needs to get that information out to as many people as possible. So Jen and I love to learn from him. Yeah. We love to listen to this guy speak because he is just an encyclopedia when it comes to breath and other things, but he's just really well known for the work that he does in breath right now. So 
And he's going to help explain like why these different practices even deeper are so important for the body, how that really relates to pain in a different way than I brought up. Um, And one of the, how you can start to address this and how you can start to work on it because he talks about this thing called CO2 tolerance. And that is so incredibly important and we didn't tap on it because Brian is going to go into way more depth and how you can actually get it and work it within your system. So please stay tuned. Up next, we have Brian McKenzie on the podcast, who's honestly a good friend and just an incredible human and so incredibly smart. All things breath. This is who I learn from when it comes to breath work because he's truly in the labs doing the studies. He's currently the founder and creative director of Power Speed Endurance, co-founder and managing director at My State LLC, which is a technology-based company that specializes in the delivery of science-based protocols to optimize physical, emotional, and cognitive performance and health via breath practices. He's also the president and co-founder of the Health and Human Performance Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to research how breath and innate tools can optimize and help health and human performance. So I'm so incredibly excited to be able to learn from him and for you guys to learn from him and take some notes because he is going to drop some knowledge bombs. All right. So honored to bring Brian on the podcast. You and I have done a Instagram live together. I've been to one of your seminars, but you know, we did, we, we said who you are, but I just want you to be able to go into, you know, what led you into this space a little bit to to be well known in the place that you are with the books that you've written and the information and the studies that you're putting out there. Like what led you to this path that you're on now with breath? Well, first, thank you for having me on. (laughs) Um, I, I really appreciate it. Um, and I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing, um, making it fun, making it simple, um, and having a smile on your face while you're doing it, uh, helps a lot. So, <laughs> um, that said, I, I wound up in this place. I I've, I'd say close to tw- a little more than 20 years ago, I knew I wanted to be in somehow involved in performance, but I also was immersed kind of in self-help and understanding human behavior and things I understood I couldn't make sense of, but I just understood them. And I I went through a lot, uh, many years ago, um, and, and changed my life in like in profound ways, but that basically was done because of, um, you know, exercise, training, sport, and then those same things kind of molded how I started viewing the the, the world um, to in a, in a large part by looking at the things I saw in general population and people that were kind of your at home, um, not at home. I mean, I was training a lot of housewives. I was training a lot of uh, husbands at the time when I got really started in the industry and I and I found that they were very much dealing with a lot of the same issues that when I started working with professional athletes were very similar. That said, I also saw connections in through a lot of behavior traits that you know, it, it was just interesting to me that you could see such behavior traits in people who were who were supposedly healthy um but were um I don't know 
not necessarily, you know, you, you go into a gym and somebody's behaving, you know, obnoxiously or, you know, when they get exposed through intensity through things, things start to fall apart movement wise, especially. And that, and that was one of my biggest catalysts in this. And I, I, I'm sorry, I'm drawing this out a lot, but I wanted to give it some context because I first started understanding things because I got a re-education in human movement. I got mentored by a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Nicholas Romanoff. And he was the creator of the pose method of running. And he flipped my head in one weekend. And I ended up spending a considerable amount of time with him and then started looking into movement from a lot of different ways. And so I started working with people and started helping them change the way they moved. And I took people who were largely in pain and got them out of pain. And I wasn't doing anything special other than the fact that I was just kind of showing them how they were continuing to beat themselves up. This was a, this is a blanket statement for what we are culturally. We, we are a suffer culture. And whether you want to look at that in, in truth or not is perfectly fine with me. Um, but that is the reality of what our culture is about is suffer, suffering and working more and doing more. And yes, there are aspects to life and work that require us to work more and do that, but we've lost a large connection. I think that's where we're at today in, in, in what we're dealing with. But breath came in here about 15 years later because I was given a training mask and my buddy asked me if I wanted one and I laughed and I was like, this doesn't do anything for altitude. Cause I had already, I had been, I'd studied a bit on altitude and pressure and, yeah, all, all that, all, all that stuff relating to, you know, altitude. And, um, I knew it didn't change barometric pressure. I, I, I knew it didn't change pressure at all, meaning that the oxygen wasn't concentrations weren't going to be harder to absorb based on using the mask. But my ego in, in doing that, um, I also had done enough work to understand that, um, when I make fun of something I haven't done, <laughs> that that's literally the definition of ignorance. <laughs> so I put it on and I took a breath. And as I took a breath, I sat up as my breath increased, meaning I organized my spine and any PT knows that <laughs> if you organize your spine correctly, you breathe correctly. And, you know, I started, I, I was just dumbfounded on what happened. I, I was like, oh my God, I need to get my athletes using this when they warm up or when they start to, when we start to do, you know, warm up work or core work or, you know, when we're doing difficult exercises, things like that. And it changed the way I started thinking about things. Then I started looking at things in terms of what was the, what was the physiology behind this thing? Then I started realizing, oh, we've got our own, you know, training mask on our face. And that mask is our nose. And one thing compounded on the other. And very early on, I'd say six, maybe six years ago, I got the opportunity. I, I started working with people who were dealing with a lot of anxiety. So I moved over more into this mental health space and understanding breath and how it relates to controlling the nervous system and how it controls our physiology and why our physiology actually needs our breath, you know, in, with every step of everything we do. And then why our movement patterns are largely dictated by what's going on inside that rib cage. And 
when that rib cage or that spinal when I'm not organized correctly, I'm going to be compensating in some way, shape, or form. Um, and this has not only mechanical consequences, it has physiological ones and it has psychological. And we as a society or as a species, like we have largely let, we like to specialize things. And so we like to separate things like movement, things like physiology and things like psychology. And they're only separate in conversation or in, in what I write down. They are, we are an interconnected um, system and it works perfectly well when it's listening. So that was where, and how, there's my long drawn out, <laughs> why I got involved in that. In reality, I think we could just let you talk for about 30 minutes and we don't have to say a darn thing because Jen and I are just sitting over here like nodding our heads time after time because we totally agree with all the things you're saying and how we approach people in this interconnected piece and where we both found breath work in our lives. I personally found it through more of that emotional, you know, mental journey that I needed to do some healing in my life. And I found breath made that change for me. And I'm like, man, I am a sucker if I don't start sharing this with the people I work with. And so I want to hear a little bit about, I read a little bit that some of the initial breath work and stuff you did was in protocols, especially surrounding emotion and fear and stuff like that. And I want to talk a little bit into that and where you kind of got into yeah. creating some protocols for that stuff. Yeah, it's profound. I mean, it, it, I mean, like that was what that that wasn't what first got me, but that was what kept me. You know, yeah. um, when I when I fully invested in an actual breath practice, that was when everything really changed for me. Not only, I mean, like literally, my nervous system is a completely different system than it was seven years ago, and. I mean, my tissue responds wow. entirely differently than it did seven years ago. Um, and uh, that is testament to what I've Im implemented within inside my breath practice, which overwhelm, which would probably overwhelm most people. But um, nonetheless, the tripwire became how I... I had um, done some work. I'd done some personal, like some, you know, self-help work, professional work. I've, I've worked with therapists in large part in the later, like in the last 10, 15 years, it's been towards understanding more, but I've done plant medicine. Um, I've experienced a lot of things in therapeutic settings being guided through these things. And what I found was that Breath work got me to all of these places that all of these things talked about or I worked on. And I didn't necessarily, it's not that you need medicine or it's that you need a therapist. These are just guides and can help with things. But what I found was that from an emotional side of things, I had something that actually got me to, uh, gave me time to understand what the emotion was. And the interesting work was when I was asked, so I started running around like I, it was just odd. I, 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 um, I got dialed in with a guy by the name of Ari Emanuel, who's arguably one of the most influential people in entertainment. And he runs a company called WME. He was, he, he, most people know him as Ari Gold from, um, the, uh, entourage. Um, and he, he wanted to understand the breath work. He read about me in a book. And so I ended up 
going and seeing him. And I, I had just started doing some things where I was kind of fingerprinting people for breath work because I noticed very early on when we did group breathing sessions that not everybody responds the same way. It, and, and, and I would say most anybody who does that, like who goes out and does group breathing practices, doesn't like picks up on this. But what I did, what I started to do was I started to go, that's interesting that there's some, you know, a couple of these women are angry. There's rugby players in the background, in the back crying. Um, you know, like, there were just these odd things going off. And I was like, for, there, there's got to be something more to how our emotions are tied in to what's going on with this stuff. And so I started looking at it and I started actually, when I would, work with people, I would run them through several different protocols to find them something that worked for them. Then I started picking up on the fact that certain types fit in and work with specific rhythms that help them unwind or get more focused. Um, you know, there were certain people who could not touch things like hyperventilation practices or superventilation practices. Then there were people who did really well especially when we introduce those things first um, and their system could rebound from it, right? Because, you know, a hyperventilation sequence is a fast way to is, is, is a fast way to do an uptick of a sympathetic nerve of our sympathetic nervous system. But what's supposed to happen with that is that you're supposed to respond by dropping back out and coming back down. And a lot of people who are dealing with a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress don't come down real well. And so teaching them how to grab a hold of that, we had to figure out different protocols that would work. And some of them actually wouldn't, like they couldn't hold their, they were not comfortable holding their breath on an exhale or on an inhale. Um, and, and so those couldn't be a part of rhythms, but we wanted to develop the thing that we figured out was the key in all of this, which was CO2. And what we found is that carbon dioxide is the metabolic stress messenger. And it, it's not a bad thing. It, it's, it's a positive thing. And understanding the physiological and psychological reactions to CO2 was where and why we started doing that type of work because it, it changed how we started doing everything. And not only from a psychological perspective, but from a physiological and we're talking highest performers in the world we were seeing were highly CO2 intolerant yet we're competing and winning and things that it just didn't make sense. But then it started to, because, you know, as my statement earlier said, we're a suffer culture and athletes mm. are really, really good at suffering. And we, and for some reason we think that's a skill and there's a, I think there's a time and a place for it, but we've lost a very deep connection to understanding what we feel. And what I've, what I've personally witnessed within athletics is that most of these kids and people who go through athletics long-term suffering and learning to suffer harder and harder and harder are in a very big world of hurt when that career comes to an end. Because the world doesn't work in terms of just winning or points and there's a lot of failure in life. And so these things started to compound, you know, and this isn't just to, to athletes. I mean, this is high performers in any sense. Um, 
they're so focused on a one goal, they forget about the process of getting there and how important that is. And, and you can get there both ways, but one way is going to leave you pretty broken. Yeah. Now, how can people start to wrap their heads around what CO2 tolerance is? <laughs> like, can, can you break it down a little yeah. bit in terms of how they start to discover this within their body? Because people could be listening like, okay, but what, how do I know what protocol and what, what do I do for my body? You know, in terms of starting to address these breath things and understand how CO2 plays a role in the body. For sure. So when we breathe, the reason we take a breath is carbon dioxide. It we so if I if we all just went and held our breath right now, the only reason you're going to draw a breath is because carbon dioxide is rising, not only in the blood but in the lungs. And the trigger points are set up in our arteries in our neck and right by our heart. Okay. For the more uh, educated in the carotid and in the, the aortic artery, there's chemoreceptors. Mm-hmm. Brainstem is set up to work off of CO2, and the 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 way we 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 understand this is we run two different tests. The main test we run is a max exhale test, and we just ripped this off from the free diving community because they they've been using it for years, and it, and it's been intel it's an intelligent piece. Because how long you can actually exhale not only tells us mechanically how well you can, you can breathe, because that is a long time for an eccentric contraction of the diaphragm. So you have to have some control. But the physiology is, is that CO2 is rising as I'm going slow. And so how fast I have to offload my breath tells me how how well adapted physiologically I am to that from a psychological or state perspective, that exhale. So CO2 is set up within our own psychology and what our panic switch is. And because we're not necessarily a species that needs to survive any longer, our survival skills have gotten wrapped up in our daily lives in terms of like, you know, sitting in our houses now or sitting in traffic when we used to, um, and, and, and we get angered and we get, we get heightened or we work too much, right? And so what happens is, is, this, is we suppress our ability from the psychological side of things to tolerate carbon dioxide. But when we, but when we ramp ourselves up, we physiologically go to work, right? So the byproduct of work or cellular respiration, either aerobic or anaerobic, is carbon dioxide and water, right? And so carbon dioxide rises. And so that's what we get rid of is we exhale carbon dioxide as oxygen goes in. And so the easiest way to understand carbon dioxide is when I get a panicky type feeling, that is the rise of CO2 and or my suppression or my, my, my mind is taking on too much. Like I'm doing too much. So like, for instance, if I was doing a bunch of math equations that I didn't like, and then I was trying to have a conversation with my girlfriend, and then I was needed to hold my breath as long as I could and three, two, one, go hold your breath. I would not hold my breath real well, right? Because I've got so much going on in my head that I'm unable to deal with it, right? And so there's the psychological side. The physiological side is, is that I just, if I'm working out, 
right? I need more oxygen, right? My, my ability to use oxygen goes up. My de the demand for oxygen goes up. The byproduct of using oxygen for um, energy is carbon dioxide and water. So carbon dioxide goes up by coming back out of the bloodstream. The only the, the main mechanism for it going out, 70, 80% of that CO2 goes out via the lung. And so this becomes our way of managing stuff. And so this is where stress gets wrapped up. And so CO2 becomes the stress molecule, the stress messenger. And it tells us when things are getting too crazy. And so my ability to tolerate more of it allows me to deal with a lot more stress or adapt. Mm. That means I start to solve problems. So adaptation is nothing more than solving problems. So how can people really start to increase their tolerance to the CO2 and start to just, I mean, a way to become aware in this moment now? Yes. The easiest way is to learn the difference between mouth breathing and nose breathing. Yes. And, um, you know, this is the most fundamental thing in breath work is understanding the difference between those two. Secondarily, keeping your mouth closed most of the day. So if I'm not talking, my mouth should be shut. And for a lot of us, it is. But... What happens is, is that we don't realize when we get into poor positions, whether we're sitting, standing, walking, um, just in the kitchen, doing normal things, we tend to open our mouth and start to breathe through our jaw, like breathe through our mouth a little bit more. So becoming more aware of breathing through your nose is critical. Take the next four weeks, if this is the first time you've heard this, or you've heard this and you don't know what to do about it, take the next four weeks and do all exercise with your mouth closed. Just four weeks. Then you can go back to whatever you want to do, or you can look into more information on what, where we've got, what we do with things. But that four weeks alone will, um, let's just call it reassemble your physiology and psychology in a very big way. And the third part of the nasal breathing thing is commit to, if, if you can, potentially getting mouth tape and taping your mouth at night when you sleep so that you actually maximize your use of oxygen and aerobic metabolism. Yeah, I absolutely love how you talk about um, this breath as the thing that helps us hack into the physiology and, and not even hack. I don't like that word because everyone talks about these biohacks. I'm just like, no, this is just good, clean living. And one of the things I hear you talk about a lot is pain when it relates to breath and the ability to control that physiology. Another thing that I love when I start breathing with people is how it helps them access and understand their pain and how that down regulation helps their pain. Can you dive into that a little bit more as to, you know, the acidic yes. versus the alkaline state and pain? Yes, sir. Great question. And one I rarely get, but pain receptor sites get heightened in a more acidic state. So if I'm somebody who's type A, who does a lot of mouth breathing is pretty sympathetic dominant, meaning pretty stressed all the time, you can bet you experience more pain. Um, then 
somebody who does not and is more parasympathetic dominant and regulates their pH a little bit better. So controlled breathing is going to regulate the pH a lot better. Okay. Short term of this would be something like a hyperventilation sequence, but long-term hyperventilation will not help with this. It'll, it'll kind of ruin the whole thing, but short term will create a pH change, but controlled breathing in and of itself will change the pH for a, for the better. And it will allow those pain receptor sites and my ability to deal with pain a lot easier um, because my pain receptor sites are now not as heightened because the more acidic I become, the more pain I feel. And the easiest way to explain that is when was the last time you went up a flight of stairs really fast or that your legs started burning? That's you becoming acidic. That is the demand for oxygen going up and you exceeding it to some degree in some places cellularly. And so the system defaults into more anaerobic processes, which now start to put off more hydrogen ions, right? And hydrogen become, the hydrogen side of this becomes the acidic part of it. And so that's part of why you feel pain, right? Or that pain coming on. And that's the easiest kind of analogy I can use. But there's a lot of work that was done, that's been done by a guy by the name of Dr. Norman Deutsch on, um, you know, people who deal with chronic pain. He's, I think the book's called The Brain's Way of Healing. And um, it was interesting because in the book, he talks about people who deal with chronic pain dedicate roughly 50 to 20% more neurons area to pain than people who do not deal with chronic pain. They have about, they dedicate around 5% of the neurons in the area to pain. So those of us who breathe optimally, who take care of ourselves um, in this capacity, tend to manage pain much more better and much, much better. And that's not just from a psychological side of things. That's from an actual physiological side because the pH is being actually regulated because our pH is regulated through, is primarily regulated through our breathing. One thing that I, I've seen of yours that I really like, I mean, you mentioned the two, like, tools of potentially just doing nasal breathing while exercising and doing the mouth tape at night. Um, I want to touch quick on your five gears of breathing. I think when someone does something like that consciously, you know, for a couple of weeks or something, it can really help them feel those different stages. Yes. Yes. So the gears concept is, you know, it came up because we kind of got tired of, li of, of listening to heart rate zones. Um, something that I long had dis disdain for because heart rate really has nothing to do with how many calories you burn um, or how much energy you're using. It's just a correlate that's matched up to what gas exchange is happening when you're doing a metabolic test, right? And, and so in layman's terms, when you go do a stress test with a doctor, they put a mask on you or put your mouth on you, you. They put a tube in your mouth and they measure how much oxygen goes in and how much carbon dioxide goes out. When that ratio starts to change, when it goes from 0.7 to 0.8, you have you just switched from uh, a very aerobic to a you know you're getting more you're getting more anaerobic processes, right? And then from 0.8 to 0.9, it's becoming even more anaerobic. And then 0.1 1.0 and above, 
you actually are completely anaerobic. You're no longer using oxygen as a fuel source. So they take heart rate and they correlate that to that. Whatever's going on at those points. The interesting thing is, is that heart rate can change throughout the day based on how much energy you've used up or how tired you are or how stressed you are or how awake you are, like, or how recovered you are. Right. And so if I've got somebody who's, um, you know, uh, if I've got an athlete, let's just say who trained really hard three days in a row and I want them to go out and do something, but we don't want them to go really hard. We want them to stay aerobic and we give them a lower heart rate. But the thing is, is that that doesn't mean they're actually aerobic because what we started to see was when you go for a walk with your dog, if you close your mouth and we put metabolic carts on when we did this and we've done several tests with this and I've been at universities and we've done this, so I'm not just making this stuff up so people know, but we put a metabolic cart on, went for a walk with a dog and I opened my, and we opened our mouth for the, Rob actually did this. He opened his mouth when he went for 10 minutes, walked the dog. Came back, went and walked another dog. Same route, same thing, closed his mouth. Two entirely different energy systems. Heart rate's the same. Wow. 200 watts on a bike. I've done this. I've probably done this 15 times. I've had several other athletes do this. On a bike, 200 watts, five minutes mouth breathing, five minutes nose breathing. Repeat that three times. Every time the mouth opens, the athlete became anaerobic. Every time the mouth shut, they became aerobic. So the gear system, to answer your question, Dom, came in to really understand what this meant. And so we know that an equal in and out nose inhale and exhale is primarily highly, highly aerobic. We know that when that starts to go up, meaning my inhale starts to speed up, so the gear two becomes fast nose inhale and a and relaxed or normal exhale. Gear three becomes fast nose in, nose out, right? That is where we're starting to hit more of our anaerobic side of stuff. Gear four becomes nose in, mouth out. And then gear five is mouth in, mouth out. Gear four and five are anaerobic. Right, you're you're pretty anaerobic. I can actually get to ninety percent of max heart rate in gear two. Um, in most things I do, that's taken a considerable amount of time to develop. But the the interesting thing here is that my heart rate can change from day to day when that happens. Right. So what doesn't change is the fact when I go from nose breathing to mouth breathing, that is going to Happen, and, and, and here's why I'm talking, because I didn't really bring this up earlier about, you know, br- doing more nose breathing is that when I, the difference between my nose and my mouth is not the amount of oxygen that comes in or is absorbed. Okay. It, it, at submaximal levels, there's no real difference, but the difference becomes when I exhale, I can exhale and offload a lot of carbon dioxide same breath, double if not triple the time to exhale that. So my mouth can get rid of it in 
almost two to three times faster than my nose can, right? So this becomes that catalyst for understanding when I switch over in those energy systems. And the nose in, nose out, and the gearing up and gearing down allows us to go from, hey, I'm going anaerobic, I'm gonna switch over, I'm, I'm hitting a hard hill on my run, or I'm going up a hard flight of stairs. I'm going to dip, I'm going to flip over to gear four, gear five, but then I'm going to come back and settle in and slow down to gear one because I know I got a lot more. Or, you know, it's like when we go and we do hard, hard interval work, we'll have people go as hard as they can. And then at the end, they use a gear five and then drop down into gears four, three, two, one, and then they feel like they're recovered. So we use a gearing pattern to recover people as well. That's amazing. And I hope that people really start to understand how this can play a role in their life. You know, there's a lot of fear and a lot of unknown and stress. How can people start to take these tools with the breath and start to shift, you know, into different states, shift into different things that they're feeling within their body and actually start to use the breath to work for them rather than staying in that fear or even working in terms of being able to strengthen the way our system is performing. Practice, practice, practice. But I think the biggest practice and the simplest is, you know, starting with just shutting that mouth and taking four weeks to really get that to develop. That then in that then takes you to a place to where you have now become very, very aware of what it's like to nose breathe and what it's like to mouth breathe, right? And so when we get into these heightened situations, this is primarily what pe most people are dealing with, right? Is I get more stressed is default into nasal breathing default into taking a more slow controlled breath. The better you are at learning how to control your breathing and slow it down, the more aware and conscious you are of what's going on. Because this, this slows things down. There is no way around that. You have no choice. Your nervous system will slow down if you actually start to slow down your breath. It's, it's, it, this is just physiology, right? And your nervous system at work. So going from a heated situation to like here, when we're done with this podcast, I will go and probably just chill out by closing my mouth and doing a number of slow controlled breaths in order to wind down because I've been talking, right? And so anytime you go present or talk, you're ramping yourself up because you're offloading more carbon dioxide. You're putting yourself into more sympathetic tone. That will require, that will, it doesn't require, that would behoove you to want to come off of that pretty quickly so that you can respond to it and feel what you can do next. So anytime there's a stressful situation, slow down your breathing when you're in it and bring it, you know, return to nasal breathing and slow it down. The best thing you can do is learn to just slow your exhale down longer than your inhale. Because that, that becomes the real parasympathetic process. Two things is where we actually inhibit sympathetic tone on that exhale if I pr can prolong it. And that allows me to calm down a lot more. So I, I, I would say end of day would be a great time to practice this stuff. Because that teaches you how to come down at the end of the day. 
I would say in the morning, having something that makes you come to a more centered place or calm and alert and calm place, right? Um, you know, we've got, we've on, on our website, powerspeedendurance.com, we've got a breath calculator that's free. And this is also, there's a, there's a direct link off my Instagram handle to that. And the breath calculator talks about and teaches you how to do the max exhale test, right? The CO2 tolerance test. Then it gives you seven different breathing protocols to play with. And so you could go with any number of those. I would play with all seven of those protocols and actually work and see how they make you feel. That way you understand what I could use in a time when nobody's around and I have time to go sit down and chill out and actually get in touch with what I'm feeling and actually breathe through this. I would start your day with at least five or 10 minutes of, of breath practice and I would end your day in the same manner. And for me, that always happens right after dinner, right before I'm going to bed. And then in the morning, it's the very first thing I do. But then every training thing I do, everything I do in between not talking, I'm usually conscious of, uh, I'm, I'm typically pretty conscious of my breathing patterns. And so what happens is, is the, you start to catch the breathing patterns. You start to catch when they ramp up. You start to ke catch when they ramp down. And you get to see the behavioral patterns of what those are connected to. And it gets quite interesting because you start to be able to understand a lot more about your own behavior and what works and what doesn't in terms of using breathing as a tool. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. And it's funny when you're saying this, Jen kind of like <laughs> looks over at me and points at me because literally I get up, I go lay on my back, I do my 15 minutes of breath. And at the end of the day, I come back around to it. What I like to say is you set the state and then you clean the slate. Um, mm -hmm. It's an amazing way to unlock the most powerful medicine cabinet in the universe, which is sitting right between our ears. And yep. I think that's all of what you've been alluding to in this whole thing is that it helps you take control of your physiology, helps you understand that it's not outside of yourself to take control of some of these things. You mentioned your website, powerspeedendurance.com? Yes. Are there other places, because I know that we are just scratching the surface here of the, the things and the content that you have available for people to take advantage of, where can they find more and what kind of things do you have going on right now that people can look into? For sure. There's a, there's also some, there's also some free stuff on there for breathing resources, a lot of information on it, especially podcasts, things like that. But our, our subscription model goes really deep into this where we have breath work happening. We're going to have, we, we, we are going to have, so we have the gearing system integrated into all training that we have on our site. We are also have the basics of breath work and how to start, where to start. We're also going to have stuff that's going to be more like periodized programs for developing CO2 tolerance and better utilization of oxygen. Um, these are all things that we want. Um, and so the subscription for PSE Pro is largely that what what where a lot of that information is. But we've been putting out webinars that are going to be available on that as well. And they'll be available to the public if you want to pay for more, a, a larger price for them. But we're going into the weeds with all the education behind this stuff. And, you know, a part of these webinars is we, at the end of these things, I end up doing this N equals one um, training 
uh, webinar where we're actually having you go through the training of stuff and using these tools to understand yourself and understand the you know how emotions, how our psychology, how our physiology, and how like exercise all can be used to understand and work on ourselves in a more a more impactful manner. You have just like so much knowledge. It impresses me with the work that you can continue to do. And the, like you're studying it, you're working with other people, you're continuing to learn yourself and you're passing the tools along. So I really hope that people will take advantage of going and learning more information. Cause like Dom said, we're barely scratching the surface here. There's so, I mean, we wrote down so many questions of things that we wanted to ask you because we just know that this information is so valuable when people actually start to pay attention to it and put it into their lives. So thank you, Brian, for just popping on and giving you know, our people just a little bit of knowledge in terms of being able to start to understand this and ways that they can really start to utilize it in their own lives. Uh, well, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate you both doing this and having me on. And I, I know that, um, you know, I, I like, I, I care about this stuff, but you know, I mean, like I said, like this was the thing that changed everything. You know, this was, I, I'm here because it changed so much of what I, I understood, but I wasn't able to communicate very early on in my career. And now we have that thing that can that we're able to communicate and understand what it is we're doing. And we can explain it not only from a psychological way, but from a physiological side. And, you know, we have, we have a saying and my buddy Fergus Connolly came up with this, but you know, it was, is psychology just misunderstood physiology? And most of the time I think it is, is we just don't understand what we feel. And this is that way to get back, getting back to understanding what it is you actually so I hope this helps. Yeah. I mean, as somebody who studies this stuff, this helped me and I'm going to continue to dive in and help provide other people these tools to take control of that physiology and maybe understand some of that psychology that's misunderstood in their own life. So I'm sure we're going to have you on again at some point to dive deeper. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening to us on the Optimal Body Podcast, where we're going to continue to bring you the PT pearls and guests that will help you find your optimal body. Now, head over to wherever you listen to this and leave us an honest review and head to docgenfit.com backslash podcast where you can find all the show notes. Don't forget that we're going to give away a free month to someone who subscribes, leaves us an awesome review, and lets us know what they want to review on the next PT Pearl. So we'll be choosing that once a week to get into a free month of the Optimal Body Membership.